Oh, there's no limit to how far his love will go, is there? Take your Bibles and turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you will. Uh, We were there last week, but we're going to begin a a verse earlier than we were uh, last week, because I want you to see how God has given us, right from his word, means by which we can tame the temptations that come into our lives. This series is about what every believer should know things that every believer should understand and and we should remind one another of, that God hasn't just set us out here and say, here, go do life and and, and do a good job or I'll zap you. No, it's not about that at all. It's about our partnership with him. And so the very first lesson that we learned and underscored is that God loves us and that will never change. There's nothing that can change, nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any more or any less than we do right now. And because of that, all of these things can be built on top of those truths. Now, last week we were looking about a common thing we all run into, that we all find things in our lives that tempt us. It may be overeating, it may be gossiping, Uh, It may be wasting time. It may be something more severe. It may be an addiction, alcohol to drugs, pornography. It may be lust. One thing we have in common, folks, there's no exception. The holiest person here has temptations. And one of the things we learned from last week is that the temptations that we go through are not anything new. All right. Not since the creation and Mama uh, Eve and Papa Adam went through their temptation has there been any new temptation come along. You and I can be sure that we've got, we've got decades and centuries of people who have, have endured these temptations. Some of them have fallen because of them. Others have been very successful overcoming them. All of that is before us. And so we were reminded of that. We're not alone in this. God meant us to go through life together, to go through life in community. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Now, the second thing that we learned that God did, he promises us, look, I'm going to set clear parameters on the devil. He can only go so far in his temptation of you. I will not allow him to tempt you beyond your ability to be able to endure it, I won't do that. I won't let him have you. I won't let him loose like that. You need to understand that the devil's on the leash and God's holding the business end of it. All right? And so we learned that. The third thing we learned from last week was that in every temptation, in every temptation, God orchestrates a means for us to escape. He always has an exit door and it's always unlocked. And so for us, we have to learn how to recognize that, and we have to take the opportunity when it comes. But this morning, what I want to do is to move a little further, and let's get real practical about the how-tos. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual person. I'm a how-to kind of person. And, and so I say, God, how do we deal with this? How do we tame the temptations in our lives? So this is going to be a practical time for us together. We want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And last week, we started at verse 13. But today, I want to start at verse 10, 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Will you read that along with me? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, let me just let that sink in a little bit. Don't ever think you got this, all right? Don't ever think you've got this whooped. 
This temptation whooped. I, I guarantee you, you're setting yourself up for a terrible fall. So here's what Paul reminds us of and warns us of, that let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then no temptation has overcome you except as is common to man. That was the first point we learned last week. But God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. That was the second point. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape. There's the third point that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is your word and this is your hour. And we come before you in absolute confession now. We come before you confessing that without exception, each and every one of us have areas in life that we're tempted in. It may be a Snickers bar. It may be taking something home from work that doesn't belong to us. It may be gossiping or spreading rumors. It may be alcohol. It may be pornography. It may be prescription drug addiction. Lord, it's different for each and every one of us. Because Satan creates temptation uniquely balanced to our weaknesses. And so, Lord, we come before you in, in absolute confession right now and asking you, Holy Spirit, give us the tools to where we can join you in victory over these areas in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, with your notes in front of you, you've got some room to take some things down, to fill in some blanks. I think you'll find these things helpful. First of all, we need to recognize the possibility of temptation. Recognize the possibility of temptation. Expect it. It's, it's going to come. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Okay? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. If you know danger is coming around the bend in the road, you slow down, you get your eyes wide open, you pay attention to what's going on. When you drive into our neighborhood where Valeria and I live up in Blairsville, we have this massive herd of deer. And there are times of day in the morning and in the evening that you best not go through there any more than 25 miles an hour because it's curvy and up and down and around like that. And they will be on you in a heartbeat. I've had them race me. Okay, run alongside, looking at me, hey, stupid, you know, they're there. And so I know that the possibility of them meeting me there tonight is very, very high. And so as I enter into the neighborhood, what I do, I have a plan. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to put my lights on bright. I'm going to be watching every little place to go. Because you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. The first part of this passage says, Therefore, to him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's a warning. That's a warning. It can happen to you. I want you to say this. Say this to yourself. It can happen to me. Say that to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. It can happen to me. Whatever it is, it can happen to me. You need to address that and accept that. Dr. Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years, a great author, wonderful, wonderful teacher and preacher, enjoyed, learned so much from him. But I heard him speak in a conference one time years ago, and he reached into his shirt pocket and he pulled out a little black book. And he said, let me tell you what's in this book, and he thumbed through it as he went. 
He said, I have the names of 100 ministers in my book. They weren't his mentors. They weren't those who had poured into his life necessarily. They were names of 100 ministers who had fallen in temptation and lost their ministry. 100 names of real men that he knew that had fallen to, into temptation and they totally lost their ministry. Many of them had lost their marriages as well. He said, I keep them right here by my heart. You know why? To remind me. It can happen to me. It can happen to me. None of us are immune. I, I don't care how mature you are in the Lord, how many years you've been walking with Him, how many sermons you've heard, how many uh, 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 Sunday school lessons you've gone to, how many books you've read or seminars to be. You've been. It can happen to you. So you always have to be prepared. Forearmed is to be forewarned. Proverbs tells us well in chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't you think that's something that happens to somebody else? I'm too good, I'm too pure, I'm too smart, I'm too, too shifty, whatever. It won't stick to me. Hear the word of the Lord here today. Okay, what you need to do is you need to develop an early warning system. An early warning system. You're driving down the road, you're in 55 miles an hour, which is the speed limit there, by the way. You're driving down the road, 55 miles an hour. Up ahead, you see there's a fork in the road. Okay, you know you're approaching that intersection. You're approaching that, fo that, that fork in the road. Right here's a yellow sign that says there's a fork in the road. Right here's a speed limit sign that says to slow down. Right here's a caution line that is flashing. Because in just a matter of moments, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to decide to go to the left or go to the right. If you're paying attention, you'll be slowing down. If you're paying attention, you'll know which way you're supposed to go, right or left. And so you're preparing for that because you have an early warning system. We all have to set that up. Whatever our trigger is, whatever our trigger is, we need to know those triggers and we need to see the early warning lights coming on. That somebody said, come, come here, come here. Want, did you know what's going on with Valeria Lodge? Okay. Warning, warning, warning. You need to see those, those warning lights coming on. Because you're about to have a good old junky, juicy piece of gossip dropped in your ear that you can't wait to go tell somebody else. You need to see the warnings coming on. And you need to, 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 know, to establish an early warning system and to, to, to have a plan. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Have a plan of what you're going to do. When you see the lights shining, when you see the road signs, there's a fork up there in the road. What am I going to do when my natural cruise control is to take me around this way. But that's, what, that's destruction. How do I control this and go this way? When I was a young boy, we, we, we were driving tractors and trucks on the farm before we could ever get out on the main road. But I remember one of the early times I got to get out and drive. It had been a horrendous rain. We lived on a dirt road. And there were ruts in the road. 
And one of the things we love to do is we get the car out there, we'd get it in the ruts, and we'd take, turn hands off of the steering wheel. And the ruts would literally take you around the curves or anything like that. To get out of the rut and go into the driveway, you have to fight the rut and pull across in order to get into the driveway. Now, some of you have lived in the city all your life. <clears throat> anyway, so you had to fight to get out of the ruts. Folks, that's what we're talking about. These temptations, these addictions are the ruts in your road. And by nature, they're going to keep you right the same way you've always gone, the things you've always done. You have to fight to get out of the ruts. And so understand, get set up that early warning system. So first, recognize that temptation is coming. You can do this. Secondly, know the sources of temptation. You need to know the sources of temptation. Every temptation has a source. And you need to know what they are, and recognize that you're in the proximity of a time that you're about to be tested. Now, biblically, the world gives us three sources of temptation. You might want to write these down if you've got room. Three sources of temptation. The first is an external source, an external source. And the Bible calls that the world. And when it's talking about the world, it's not talking about the globe of planet Earth. It's talking about this world system, the worldly way of looking at things outside of God that, that, that doesn't take God into the picture whatsoever in making decisions or making morals or whatever the case may be. The world system in which we live is there to influence us. And we can see that, my goodness, we can see that in the whole political arena and the socioeconomic arena. We can see that in so many, many ways. The world system is an external source. And so you need to know what your triggers are. You need to know what your triggers are. Uh, when we, Valeria and I sold shoes when we were real young in our marriage, or well, even before we got married. And so one of my roles was to do the decorating in the, in the, the windows. And we would put the classiest, nicest, newest pair of lady shoes right up there in the very front of the, of the, the window. To catch people coming by, oh, well, let me, let me see this. Because there's an allure. The world has a natural allure for us. And so we need to be aware of that and see that it's coming. The second one the Bible talks about is an internal source. An internal source. And the Bible word for that is the flesh. Now, when you see flesh in the Bible, sometimes it means this pink stuff that we wrapped around our bones. But most of the time, it's talked about our own natural way of doing life apart from God. Our own natural way of making decisions and deciding right and wrong apart from God. And again, that's influenced by the worldly system in which we live. That's our, our flesh. And, and 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. Listen to me. Those who are addicted to a habit, a hang-up, substance, whatever it may be, will die an addict. Now that sounds like a horrible judgment, but listen to me very carefully. Once Satan has got his hooks into you, in your flesh, those hooks are going to be there. I was talking to a friend of mine here a while back, and, and, and we were talking about the power of addiction, and he's been uh, free from his alcohol for, I think it's 28 years now. And, but when he introduces himself, 
He says, hello, I'm Mike. That's really not his name. Hello, I'm Mike. I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's part of his identity. Satan has made that a part of his identity. He's sober, and he's been sober for decades. But he says this, I will die addicted to alcohol. My plan is to die sober, but I will die addicted to alcohol. My, my grandmother died of lung cancer. When she was diagnosed, she stopped smoking. The smoking was part of her getting lung cancer. And she'd been, been off of cigarettes for several years. I don't remember how long whatsoever. And I was visiting with her one day, and I said, Grandmother, do you still long for a cigarette? And she said, Son, if you put one in my head, I would put it in my mouth and chew it up and swallow it. I still long for one. I will die longing for a cigarette. But I'll never smoke another one. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. The flesh is open to Satan's enticements. And once he's got those hooks in you, you will die with those hooks in you. But you can die free of them as well. But I say that to say, you understand the source. And when that source latches in to the flesh, it's got you. There's an external source, there's an internal source, but then there is an infernal source. <laughs> That's the devil, folks. If you think you're too highly educated to believe in a literal devil, then let me tell you, you're a fool. You're a fool. Jesus Christ believed in a real, literal Satan. He battled a real, literal Satan. So what you're saying is, I'm smarter than Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And he literally said, like to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like your wheat. And after he's done that, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. He recognized the reality of Satan. You would be wise to do that. You have had demons assigned to you from the time you were born to learn your weaknesses and to ever keep temptation before you. Understand that. Know that. But know also God assigned at least one, if not a host, of angels to you as well. That's there as your encourager and his message to you. And Holy Spirit, now that you're a believer in Christ, lives within you. You have everything you need to defeat this. But you need to understand the reality of the enemy you're dealing with. When temptation comes, we're going to respond to it in one of three, three ways. One, we're going to give in to it. Hey, take the easy road. You know, I've just been doing this. It's just, it's just automatic. It's just reflexive. I, I, you know, we'll give in to it. The second way is to find it. Now listen to me very carefully. There are a few people I've met in my lifetime that have enough moral and physical stamina to fight their temptation on their own. Very, very, very few, but I haven't met a few. Or you can fight it through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about how to do that in just a few moments. But this is the normal response. So here, here's what I want you to see. This is war. War. And the enemy 
His greatest weapon to use against us is surprise. To slip out when we weren't looking and catch us. And so it behooves us, it behooves us to listen to what the Word of God says. Listen to Jesus. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Let me read that again. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Okay? He's saying, here's what I want you to know. You need to be warned. You need to know ahead of time that the flesh attacks the body. The world attacks the soul, and Satan attacks the spirit. You need to be forewarned. Next thing I want you to jot down in your notes is this. You need to retreat from, from temptation, especially certain kinds, but retreat from temptation. There's a time to resist, and there's a time to retreat. Mark Twain was famous for saying this, there are several good protections against temptation, but the best one I have found is cowardice. It's okay to be a coward. Let me tell you, the Bible does not say resist temptation. Let me say that again, write it down if you need to. The Bible does not say that we are to resist temptation. What's it say? The Bible says we're to flee from temptation. That word means to run like your life depends on it because it does. We're called on to flee temptation. Not, I'm a man, I can stand up against this. I can... Get ready. Wiley Coyote did the same thing before the 10,000 ton thing fell on top of him. All right? And Satan's going to squash you like a bug on a rock. No. You don't resist temptation. You run from it. Let me give you three examples right out of the Bible. Three examples right out of the Bible. First of all, we're to flee idolatry. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. An idol is anything that you and I draw substance from. Anything that, that, that we draw our strength or our encouragement or our confidence or security from other than God. Because like if that's your bank account... Or if that's your, your native abilities that you have and such as that, that's going to get between you and God. And that's where it'll become an idol. And so the Bible says we're to flee idolatry. We're to run from it. You don't have a committee meeting. You don't have to look at your bank account. You don't have to have a spreadsheet. Run. You run from it. The Bible tells us we're to run from immorality. That specific, specifically means sexual sins. You don't play with that. You're playing with something that would explode in your hand. All right? When it comes to immorality, you just can't play with it. You've got to run. You've got to run from it. There's nothing as powerful as our sexual urges. Forgive me, I'm not speaking out of school, but I want you to know even if you're one of our younger ones in here, There is nothing any more powerful than our sexual urges. And Satan knows that, and that's why he attacks ministers, he attacks marriages, he attacks ministries and missionaries in this area. It is so powerful, and it is so devastating. And we're told not to resist that, but to flee. When that spark happens between you and that person, 
When you're in a room, there may be 50 other people in the room. But there's a spark that happens. And you know it. And they know it. Run. Run. Run to your spouse. Or if you're not married, run to your best friend. Get out of Dodge. You don't play with that kind of fire. And then the Bible also tells us that we're to flee from greed. From greed. Listen to this. Listen very carefully. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And for that money, for that love of money, some people have strayed from the faith. And in greediness have pierced themselves through. It means to be run through with a, with a lance. Have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, man of God, flee these things. We all have to deal with money. We all have to, to earn a living. We've all got to pay our bills and such of that. There's nothing wrong with money. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all kind of evil. It's the love of money, the greed, the desire to have more and more and more and more. And many of us are in bondage today because we have given in to that. So when they call you on the phone and say, hey, we've looked at your credit reference and we can understand that we can expand your credit card this much or you can buy a new home and we can offer you this much kind of money, run. Run. Hang up the phone. Flee temptation. We have to learn to run from it. Next, the Scripture says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. Well, how does that work? What does that look like? Jesus knew we would have that question, so he gave us a picture right out of his own life. After being severely tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan finally turned up the heat just as, as wide open as he could turn it up. And they were very real temptations. Can I, can I say that again? These were real temptations. Some of us say, well, I mean, it was Jesus. He wasn't really, really tempted. You don't know your Bible very well. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way just like you and I are. You cannot come up with a temptation right now that Jesus himself did not experience. So you need to get you another excuse, all right? Jesus Christ was totally human. He was totally God, but he was totally human. And in his humanity, he was just as subject to every temptation as you and I are. Understand that. And that being true, how did he handle it? If it was very, very real temptations, how did he deal with it? There was a temptation for him to decide what kind of Messiah he wanted to be. And that's what Satan was offering to him. How did he respond? He responded with the Word of God. He responded with the Scriptures. Listen, whatever your temptation is, the Bible has either a specific word or a principle that you can use against the devil. No exception. If it's a shopping network, the Bible's got an answer to that. Okay? Whatever it is, 
The scriptures have got an answer to that. So what Holy Spirit wants to do is lead you to the scriptural realities, to where you can have the sword of the Lord in your hand, sharper than any two-edged sword, is the word of God. And when Satan comes running, you just shove it up his nose. This, this is how Jesus showed us. Here's how he handled temptation. You get into the word, you learn the weapons of your warfare, and you wage the warfare in the power of my might. It's his word, so it's his might. The devil will flee from you then. Then, remove any means of temptation as far from you as possible. Remove, you, you, you got you to remove it. I, I shared with you last week my friend who loves peanuts. He said, I don't go to the bar to eat peanuts anymore. I get them from Walmart. He knows better than to go into the bar to eat peanuts because he's going to be tempted with the alcohol. Okay, duh, not that hard. Let me tell you about a fellow I read about here a while back. I love this. He was quite overweight. And one of the contributing factors was on his way to work every day, he would stop by the Krispy Kreme donut, get a tall coffee, and two dozen hot Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm sorry, I'm sinning against you already. All right. But this was his regular thing every day. This is what he'd come in. And so he finally decided, I've got to quit this. I've got to get on a diet. And, and he did. And you know what he did? He had to find a new way to get to work. He had to determine a new dri driving pattern to get to work. And he stayed with it for the first week, second week, third week. After a month, he'd lost a great deal of weight. Everybody was so proud of him at home and also at work. And then one day he came in carrying a large coffee and two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And they said, what happened? He said, well, I was rushed this morning to get dressed. I jumped in the car. Everything was on autopilot. And before I realized it, I was driving right down the road towards the Krispy Kreme donut place. And he said, right away I prayed. I said, God, if you want me to stop and get Krispy Kreme donuts, I'll have a parking place right in front of the front door. And he said, and you know what happened? The eighth time around the block, there was that place open right there. <laughs> now, let's laugh and enjoy that, but let's also see that's us. That's us. Man, we, we, we've, we, we've got to, in our devotion today that we use for, here at the church, that, that you can have a copy of, you can have it online. One of the things was there is if you're in a mess because of the thinking and actions you've done, don't expect those same thinking and actions to get you out of that mess. You're going to have to have new thinking and actions to get out of the mess. Well, you've got to have a new path to go to work. You've got to plan this thing out better, folks. You've got to be away from where the temptation lies. And that ties in with the last thing I want to say, and that's replace bad influences with good ones. Hear me. I know I may make some enemies here, but God help me anyhow. Some of you need to seriously change your friends. Some of you need to seriously change who you hang with. Because you're not pulling them up, they're pulling you down. Let me give you an experiment to try with one of your friends. Go get you a bar stool, one I'm about this high. And maneuver until you can climb up on top of it. So you're standing on top of the bar stool. Got that? 
Everybody with me? Now have your friend come up and you help him up on the bar stool with you. What's going to happen? Yeah, you're, you're, you're both going to splat. You just, you know, acrobats maybe can do that, but you and I can't do that. Most of us cannot do that. You may hang around some friends that are lost because you want to influence them for the Lord, and that's the right thing to do. But listen, their tendency to pull you down is stronger than your tendency to pull them up. You may just need to get some new friends. One of our teenagers shared his testimony Wednesday a week ago that he nearly lost his life because of bad choice friends. And now he's learned to choose his friends more wisely. That's a good adult lesson, too. You've got to have people around you that can hold you up, that can lift you up, that can encourage you, that can admonish you and get in your face when you're falling off the wagon, that love you enough to where they can be there for you for real. And they're not going to be pulling you down. They're going to be lifting you up. So let's, so let's surround ourselves with the kind of people that will do that. You know, one of the, 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 the wonderful strengths of addiction recovery is fellow addicts surround themselves with other people who are going through the same thing they are. And they draw strength from one another. They draw encouragement from one another. They all share the same temptation whether it's pornography or stealing. You know, there's an addiction to shoplifting and stealing. And we have people in our CR program that are getting over that. Whatever this compulsion is, whatever this compulsion, if you're in a community that with others that have the same kind of temptation and lure, and you can depend on one another, and you're, at least one of you is well on the road to recovery, you've... There's strength in that. And you celebrate victories. They started this in AA years and years ago. But after you've got a month of sobriety underneath your belt, you get a little chip, a little coin that you carry in your pocket. And it says one month. And they celebrate that with you. That's a celebration. You've made it 30 days. And that's tremendous. And after three months... You trade that one month in for a three-month coin. And then you trade it in for a six-month coin. And then you trade it in for a year coin. And, and I, have, I have friends that have been in their third decade of sobriety. And they still have that co- a coin in their pocket. The last one they received. It's there because they can put their hand in their pocket and always remember, I'm just one drink away from being a fall-down drunk again. Well, what's true about alcohol is also true of gossip and lying and every other kind of addiction and temptation. Understand, you're not immune. It can happen to you. Set up an early warning system. Have a plan. Here's what God promises you. I promise you this, says the Lord God. I will not allow any new temptation overtake you that I haven't helped skazillions of people through already. And when you're tempted, I'm going to keep Satan in a box and on a leash. He's not going to be able to run supreme in your life. You're going to be able to 
resist that. And here's my third promise to you. I'm going to make an escape hatch and be sure the door's unlocked. I'll see to it that there's a way out. And I'm going to be there to help you endure it. I'm going to be there to walk with you through each step of that temptation to where we can come out on the far side victorious. That's the promise of Almighty God. And every believer needs to know these things. They need to know they're not alone in this. That together as a family, we know what it is to be tempted. And together as a family, we're learning from God how to stand firm against the wiles of the enemy. But it's war, folks. It's war. And his greatest weapon is to surprise you. Don't be surprised. Let's be prepared. Will you pray with me? Father, it's come to that point in our our time with you of great worship we've had this morning and just blessing your holy name. And now your word's been opened. And Holy Spirit, you have have so fashioned that word that it is a a razor-sharp scalpel. And you've laid us open this morning. You've laid us open. But you're also here healing. You're here healing. Because you don't want to see us enslaved. You want us to be free. And you tell us in your word that you know how to deliver your children out of temptation. And so, God, we want to lean on that with all of our weight. We don't want to meet you one day with a lie on our lips or alcohol on our breath. We don't want to meet you one day still enslaved. We want to meet you confessing our sins and Lord, here's what I was addicted to, but here by your grace you've given me these years of victory. We can do this. God, you and us, we can do this. And right now, we confess to you whatever this temptation is, our roaming eyes, or our listening ears to pick up any gossip, or our desire to have more or bigger or better. We just confess that before you, Lord. And we dare to believe that you have a plan to win our freedom. And we lay claim to it by faith right now. In Christ's name, amen.